Well, if you spent any time at all working in offices over the past 10 to 20 years, there's one thing that you probably got used to seeing hanging on the wall, and that's called motivational posters. You guys ever see motivational posters in your offices? I'm getting a lot of blank looks. Do you not work in offices? Do we not understand? What do you guys do all day? I don't know. The, the format is pretty typical on a motivational poster. There's a black background, and usually there's a, a pretty picture in the middle. Uh, usually something from nature, or perhaps it's a, a picture of an athlete, you know, someone who's, who's really pushing themselves. And, and then underneath that, there will be a, uh, a phrase, a word for motivation, and then a phrase that kind of defines that word. And the goal is to get you pumped up to get you energized and, and to motivate you, hence the name Motivational Poster. It didn't take long for parodies to start springing up and little uh, funny motivational posters. And one of my favorite is, uh, is put out by a company called Despair.com. And, and Despair.com releases their demotivational posters every year. And in, and in, in one office where I worked... We, uh, we got the calendar every year, the demotivational posters. And so the end of the year, we would all get together and laugh about the demotivators. In fact, this one that you're looking at, this is not a motivational poster. This is actually a demotivator. Um, the, the phrase underneath, the word underneath is motivation. And the phrase underneath says, if a pretty poster and, cute, and a cute saying are all it takes to motivate you, you probably have a very easy job the kind that robots will be doing soon. One of, my, uh, one of my favorites, though, has a picture of a sinking ship out in the middle of the ocean, and the word underneath says, mistakes. And then underneath that, the phrase says, it could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning for others. I like that. And I've quoted that to people before. When they've said, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? And I've had to say, well, it could be that the purpose of your life is to serve as a warning for other people. There are some mistakes that are so huge, so colossal, that they become synonymous with failure. If you say the name Titanic, the imagery is instantly one of catastrophe and loss. If you mention the space shuttle Challenger, the next word in your mind is likely the word disaster. And if you say golden calf, you immediately recognize disobedience, you recognize idolatry, you recognize sin. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writing of the the golden calf and of of other things that took place in the Old Testament. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. It could be that their purpose in life was to serve as a warning for us. One of those huge mistakes that that warns others, don't do what they did. Don't fall into the same trap. Don't worship what they worshiped. Now, I'm sure none of you have a golden calf 
at home. None of you have a, an idol set up, but, but was that really the point? We're going to look at that story today from Exodus chapter 23. We're just going to look at verses 1 through 6 to start with. If you're using the Bibles there in the seats in front of you, it's page 72, and we encourage you to pick one of those up and, and use it. If you don't have a Bible in your home, uh, let us know. We would love to hook you up with a Bible. We want to make sure that you're in the Word of God. We feel it's important to be in there. But in Exodus chapter 23, so I'm sorry, Exodus 32, Exodus 32, page 72, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hands and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, and he said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. I want to stop right there because that's where Paul stops when he recounts this story in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul stops with verse Six, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. Paul doesn't even mention the golden calf. But he goes on and, and he says, Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. For Paul, it wasn't about the calf. It was about what the calf represented and, and what had happened to the people. Every now and then we talk about idolatry today, and we we go to one of two places. Uh, on the one hand, we go and we say, well, that was something that they had a problem with back then. Idolatry was what happened to them. You know, we, we know better. Back then, they worshipped statues. They worshipped created things. And we know better. We don't do that anymore. Or we will go another direction and we will admit, yes, we have idols. Our idols may not be golden calves, but they are, uh, they are our possessions. They are our wealth. They are our fancy cars and our bank accounts, our fancy homes, our, our bass boats. You know, those are our idols today. But what Paul is saying in, in 1 Corinthians 10 is it's not about the idol. It's about us. It's about what's happening to us. And the example that we have of the golden calf shows us that no matter what our idol might be, idols cannot give us a future. There's a great lesson in the Proverbs, and you will hear this quoted every now and then. It's one of those Proverbs we like to go to pretty often. Proverbs 29, verse, 7, or verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, when you read that, where there is no vision, the people perish, the word perish doesn't mean the people die. It means the people cease to be a people. There's nothing that holds them together. There's no 
unifying experience for them. There, there is nothing that, that makes them one. Verse 25 on down in, in Exodus 32, verse 25 says, When Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. That word broken loose is the same word that we have in Proverbs there for perish. There was nothing to, to bond them together, nothing to bring them unity, nothing to bring them purpose. There was no vision for them. There was no direction for them. When the story begins at the beginning of this chapter, Moses is absent. Moses is on Mount Sinai, and, and he's been there for 40 days. If you've seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, you're familiar with this part of the story. He's up there receiving the law. But the people, they had followed Moses. and They, they could always see Moses out there ahead of them. They, they followed Moses out of Egypt. He, he led them. They saw the miracles that he had worked. Now they can't see him. And he's been gone for 40 days. And they say, well, well is he even coming back? And they're getting agitated. And so they, they go to Aaron and they say, make for us gods that shall go before us. Gods that will lead us. Uh, gods that will take us someplace because we can't stay where we are. We have to move ahead. We need vision. Now that's where there is no vision, the people perish. We stop, we stop moving forward. Where there is no vision, we stop moving forward. Where there is no vision, we have no goal. We have no direction. And what, what the passage shows us is that idols... Idols make us idle. They don't lead us anywhere. If we, if we stop moving, there's no hope. And that's why it's important that we know where we're going. That's why it's important that we know what we're focused on. That's why we want, to, want you to catch a vision of gather, grow, serve. Why we want you to know those three words and what those three words mean for us. Because we can't stay where we are. We have to move ahead. And to move ahead, we need vision. That's not just true for a church, though. It's not just true for the church. That's, that's for you. That's for your family. That's for your life. And I think about Aaron here. Aaron, Aaron gathers the gold together, right? He gathers all their gold together, and it says that he fashioned it with a graving tool, that Aaron crafted this idol for them. I think about one of the passages that means a lot to this church and one that we've gone back to over and over again. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Paul says we are his workmanship. We are God's workmanship. Created, fashioned by God. Crafted by God in Christ Jesus for good works. God crafted you together, not as an idol, not as an image to be worshipped, but so that you could reflect his image. So that you could bear his image. Not so that you could be idle, but to do good works. To, that he's planned for you. That he has a future for you. And the beautiful thing is that as we come together, it's the same God who has crafted us all. He has created us all. And so we share His image and we move together. And we move forward in His plans. Without God, we have no future. We have no vision. We have no plan. And it goes without saying that if we have no future, then idols can't free us from our past. He says in verse 6, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. Now you realize when it says they rose up to play, it doesn't mean they had a church softball team, right? You understand that? 
they weren't going to get the, you know, they're going to draw the hopscotch thing out there in the desert and they're going to rise up to play. It's, it's a different kind of play. And, and in the same way, when it says they sat down to eat and drink, this isn't a potluck. You know, this isn't what they're doing. They're not just having a potluck. This was a, a drunken pagan orgy, uh, much like what they would have had back in Egypt. In fact, it was exactly like what they had back in Egypt. The same gods, the same plan it, to have a big drunken party and, and to throw yourself into the revelry of it. They had left Egypt, but without a vision for the future, they were trapped in their past. And over and over again, what we hear in, in Exodus from these people is, we should have never left Egypt. We should have never left back then. We, we had things that were comfortable. We had plenty of food. We had all this wonderful stuff. We never should have done it. One of the worst idols you can have is the past. One of the worst idols you can have is the past. It is so insidious. It is so deceptive. And you remember, back when they were in Egypt, they were slaves. They were slaves in Egypt. They were oppressed. But out on the desert, their, their perspective about Egypt changed. That's the problem with the past. We, we remember what we want to remember, you know? You remember the good times. You, you forget the the bad times. You forget the struggles. And, you know, that's one of the dangers that we have here in Kansas and, and, and even here in the church. But, you know, in, in the community, every now and then, we'll get into one of those modes where we're all talking about, oh, remember the good old days. Remember what it used to be like. Remember when there were lots of businesses. Remember when there were free picture shows uptown. I don't remember that. You know? Do you remember when, you know, dinosaurs used to roam? The, no. <laughs> Doesn't quite go back that far. But, you know, we, we get into that mode where we're like, man, it used to be so good in the old days. You know, you, we had three grocery stores. We had seven gas stations. We had all this wonderful stuff back then. Those were the days. But we're not back in those days. We're here. And, and God's not back in those days anymore. God is, God is here, and, and we can't go back 30 years ago. We shouldn't want to go back 30 years ago. Vision never leads you backwards. You hear me? God's vision never leads you backwards. It always leads you forwards. But back when I was in high school, man, I was working on this sermon this week, and, and I got to thinking, my senior year in high school, this will only mean something to a few of you, okay? So the rest of you just bear with me. But my senior year in high school was the year that Bruce Springsteen's album, uh, Born in the USA, came out. How many of you had Born in the USA? Yeah, yeah, okay, thank you. Thank you very much for a few of my people are here. Um, there's a song on Born in the USA. The song was called Glory Days. Remember Glory Days? And, and I was working on the sermon. I got to thinking about the song Glory Days, and I had to hear it. So, so I pull it up on YouTube, and I'm watching the video for Glory Days, and I suddenly realized He's younger than me now. At the time, he seemed like an old guy when I watched him. He's younger than me singing about glory days and singing about how great it was in the past. You know, the, the line in that song says, Time slips away and leaves you with nothing, mister, but boring stories of glory days. Since idols can't propel you forward, since Idols can't give you a vision of the future. They hold you to the past. And the past is a nice place to visit. 
but you can't live there. And more importantly, God can't lead you there. If I find myself thinking about how much better things were in the past or how much more spiritual I was in the past, then I have to stop and realize I got a problem. The problem is me. If I was more spiritual in the past than I am now, it's not about God. It's about me. It's about where have I failed? How have I not kept up? How have I not been moving? I have to ask what's wrong with me today because God will only lead you forward. God will only lead you deeper. God did some wonderful things. God did some wonderful things in our lives, in our community, in our church. But this isn't the past. This isn't 1985. God is here in 2015, and he's pointing us towards something greater. You know what really gets me about this story? Is that Aaron, Aaron lies in this story. Moses' brother lies to everyone in this story. He lies to the people. He makes this golden calf for them, and, and they're all excited, and so he builds an altar, and he says, well, tomorrow, tomorrow will be a feast to the Lord. No, it won't. You know, he, he's changed the name, but he's still doing the same stuff they did back in Egypt when they were worshiping those pagan gods. Tomorrow's not going to be a, a feast to the Lord. It was going to be a pagan orgy. All he did was change the name. And then, and then he lies to Moses because towards the end of the story, you can read this later, but towards the end of the story, Moses shows up and he's like, Aaron, what gives? You know, what's, what's with the cow, Aaron? And, and Aaron says, ah, I collected the gold and I, I threw it in the fire. And out came the cow. It, it, you know, just when you threw down that staff and it turned into a snake, same thing, same thing. Just out came a cow. I have, uh, I'm as surprised as you, Moses. Without a vision for the future, we will lie to ourselves. We will lie to ourselves about how great the past was. We will lie to ourselves, we will lie to God, and we will crawl back to those glory days that weren't all that glorious, and we will never move forward. The real problem with idolatry is that without a vision for the future and without moving ahead from the past, idols steal our God-given identity. I think probably the, the saddest part of the whole story picks up in verse 7, 7 through 10, when it says, The Lord said to Moses, Moses is still up on the mountain, right? The Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Do you hear it? That's not my people. That's your people. That's not my problem. That's your problem. As my wife loves to tell me every now and then, not my circus, not my monkeys. They're not my problem. <laughs> That's your circus. That's your monkeys. Every now and then something comes up, and I'm like, well, who's responsible for this? And I will say, not my circus, not my monkeys. Find out whose monkeys they are, but this isn't our problem. This is somebody else's problem. God says that. Your people who you brought up out of Egypt. Look what they're doing. And he goes on and he says in, in verse 8, they have turned aside quickly, to the way that I, uh, quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf 
and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation out of you. You know, it's the same language that God used back in Genesis 6, just before the flood. God looks at the whole earth and he saw that the whole earth was corrupted. And that's the exact same language that he's using here about the people of Israel, that they were corrupted. We can call ourselves whatever we want, but in reality, we will become known by what we worship. We can use whatever name we choose. We can call ourselves whatever we want, but the reality is we will become known by what we worship. And it doesn't matter what we tell ourselves. It doesn't matter what we tell others. God notices. If our identity is not about where God is leading us today, then our identity will be about an idol. Kansas Christian Church. That's the church that had the fire, isn't it? That's the church where, where they had the, the fire. You know, the, the fire for us, it was a, it was a huge rallying point. We, we felt alive, and, and as much as we lost in the fire, think about what we gained. We gained a sense of purpose. We gained a, a sense of God's leading and understanding of his blessing. But the fire isn't 2015. 2015 can't be about the fire. 2015 can't even be about the new building. 2015 has to be about where God is leading us in 2015. It has to be about the living God who leads us forward. Verse 26, Moses calls out to the people with one question. He says, who is on the Lord's side? Who will be willing to be identified with God? Who is willing to be counted as one of his? Who is willing to say, I'm not exactly sure where we're going. (laughs) I'm not exactly sure where he's leading us. I can't see the future, but I'm not going to stay back here. I'm not going to wallow in our glory days. I'm on the Lord's side. And wherever he's leading, that's where I will go. We need people who will say that for our church. We need people who will say that as we, as we gather, grow, and serve. But you know what? You also need to say that for your home. You need to say that for your family. Sometimes we get stuck in the way things used to be in our homes. We, we get stuck in, with, with either great times we had in the past or maybe difficult times that we had in the past, and we never move forward from those. We never get past them. Sometimes it's those difficult times that become our idols in our homes and in, in our families. And, and we have to come to a point where we're saying, I'm not where I need to be. I, need, I can't stand here and look back and say, why can't it be like it used to be? I need to look forward. I need to, to look forward knowing that God is in charge and trusting is leading and say, say, God, I'm with you. I am on your side. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 10, these things took place as examples that we may not desire, we might not desire evil as they did. In other words, there's something for us to learn here. These things took place as examples. He says in, in 1 Corinthians 9, just before he gets to the examples that we're covering here in the next few weeks, 
In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. The prize that we are running for isn't a trophy sitting on your shelf from years ago. It isn't something you've already received. It's something that's still out there. It isn't a glory day that you can look back and say, wow, do you remember that? Do you remember how nice that was? It's something that's still ahead of us. The tro- it isn't a trophy waiting for you from the past. The prize is still out there. And Paul warns us from these examples so we won't look back So we won't go back so that we will press on to the goal. And he goes on after he gives us these examples. And he says in verses 14 through 16 of of 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, Therefore, my my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from it. Run away from it. Don't play around with it. Don't live in the idolatry of the past. Don't, don't play around with those old days and those old years. Flee from idolatry. And he says, I speak to you as sensible people. <laughs> I like that. Are you sure you know us, Paul? I speak to you as sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. This isn't something to play around with. This isn't something to entertain. But I like my idols. I really like my idols. And I've worked so hard for them and worked so hard on my idols. I I like the past. I I like where we used to be, you know? First station on my serious radio is 80s rock, you know? I, I like it. You know, as I listen to 80s rock more and more, I'm like, what were we listening to back then? What was that all about? have to move forward i'm sure there were there were those who liked the desert a lot (laughs) i'm sure there were those that really enjoyed it but you can't be you can't live there you have to move forward you've got to go through the desert what i love about paul's warnings there in first corinthians 10 is where he takes us after he says flee from idolatry flee from it where does he send us sends us to the table. And he says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? You know, the the cup and the loaf that we come to every week, they don't just point us back to the death of Christ. They point us ahead to the reality that we are the body of Christ, that we are alive as the body of Christ and that we are together today. And it points to a victory that we all share. Who is on the Lord's side? Come to Him. Follow Him where He leads. Let's pray.